to see you today. We welcome those who are joining us by way of stream. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Just want to just kind of remind everybody on the front of the bulletin, probably the first thing there, this Wednesday, we do it once or twice a year, we have the youth, adults, everybody comes together for family worship, and that's going to be this Wednesday at 6.30. So if you normally don't come to Wednesday night, this would be a good Wednesday to come. We usually let the youth lead out, all right, so you get to hear some of the youth share, and Brett, I think, will be sharing. So we hope that you'll come this Wednesday at 6.30. Beginning a new series today on the names of God. You know, there are so many names in the Bible, and each name of God gives us just one aspect of how awesome that he is. You know, growing up, how many of you ever got a nickname growing up? Most of us, if you, if you avoided a nickname, you were very fortunate. And so I kind of got it on both of my names. I think I've shared over the years, Roger and Johnson. And so Johnson, they would always say, what do you get when you put your finger in Roger's ear? Johnson's wax. And they would all laugh. And, and so I was called baby powder and all those things growing up. And then for Roger, I, I don't think it's been around anymore, but Roger Ramjet. How many of you remember the cartoon Roger Ramjet? And so every day, the kids on my kindergarten bus, every day, every single day in kindergarten, they sang to me. I know that sounds pretty special. And they, and they took the Roger Ramjet theme song, and they just changed it just a little bit. And so every time I got on the bus, they would sing, Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of the nation. Only thing that's wrong with him is mental retardation. And so they sang that to me every day. And so if people wonder, why is the pastor a little bit warped? I mean, I got sung to that, but kids, sometimes they're kind of brutal about it, but again, names, and sometimes names don't mean much, maybe we name somebody after somebody, but in the Bible, you got to understand, names in the Bible were really important. Every name in the Bible, whether it's for a place or a person, has meaning behind it, all right? And so... I want to begin with David. You know, David was a man that was just passionate about knowing God. He said, I just want to dwell in your beauty. I just want to live to behold your beauty. And David understood the value of God's name. And so I want to read a few of his, uh, from the book of Psalms, a few of the things he said about the name of God. So let's read together here in Psalms 8. It begins and ends the very same way. This is how Psalms 8 begins and ends. Let's read together. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, I want us to read it one more time, and this is a verse that we're actually saying to God. So I want you to say it as best you can. I want you to say this to God. I just want us to declare together how amazing his name is. So let's say together to the Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And then he goes on in Psalms 34 to say this, O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that we're saying to each other. So through this process, our heart is to exalt the name of the Lord. And then in Psalms 124 verse 8, David says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, there is something powerful about God's name. I often like to say his name is like a cosmic credit card. It's good in three worlds. It's good in heaven, on earth, 
and under the earth. There's something powerful about the name of the Lord. And David knew this even as a young man. And probably one of the most familiar stories about David when he was young is when he fought against Goliath. And you remember, Goliath was taunting the the army of Israel. He was taunting them, and all those men looked at Goliath and said, he's too big to hit. Little David came along, and he looked at Goliath and said, he's too big to miss. I mean, it's all about perspective. And I remember Zig Ziglar. I always remember when I'm talking about uh, David and Goliath. I always remember Zig Ziglar, who's kind of a positive Christian motivator. But he said that he got saved as an adult. And after he got saved, he would read Bible stories to his young son. And he was reading the story of David and Goliath to his son. And his son looked up at Zig, up at the dad, and said, Boy, Dad, Goliath was really brave. And Zig said, well, maybe I didn't read it right. Maybe he thought, you know, David. And so he reread it and said, and his son said, yeah, Goliath was really, really brave. And so now Zig becomes the child and sitting at his son's feet. And he says to his son, well, son, what do you mean? Goliath was the giant. He says, yeah, dad, but you got to understand. Goliath was out there all by himself. David had God on his side. You guys need to write that down. That's good right there, man. I mean, no matter what you're facing, it's always bigger than us, but it's never bigger than God. And notice when David went against Goliath and Goliath was making fun of him. And and so David says this to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He came in the name of the Lord. And I want to say there's something powerful about the name of the Lord. By the way, that's why when we pray, we always say at the end, in Jesus' name. We never go to God based on our performance or who we are, but we always go to God based on his goodness and who he is. So the name becomes really, really important. I like what it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And there is something powerful about the name and the names of God. And so again, each name that we look at is going to tell us just one aspect of the greatness of God. And so in life, if we have big problems, we probably have a small concept of God. And so Sometimes life can become overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that had a few problems. You know, all of us do. But you know, when people begin to tell me how big their problems are, immediately I just want to say, but God is bigger. The mountains are always bigger than you. But I just want to give you good news. Nothing you're facing or will ever face is bigger than God. And so when our, when our mountains become ginormous, Probably we have a small concept of God. But if we have the right concept of God, our problems become very small. And I just want to tell you, why do we study the names of God? Because we're going to discover how amazing God is. And the more you get to know God, the more you realize that everything you're facing in life is so extremely small compared to to God. And so we need to have the proper concept. You know, a magnifying glass, and I, I didn't bring one, 
But a magnifying glass can take something which we think is itty bitty and blow it up. Now, as I get older, I need more magnification, all right? I not only have reading glasses, I often use a magnifying paper as well. I need two. And whenever I, by the way, if I ever do a funeral or a wedding, I always use 24 font, 24 font, really big. And, and, and they always laugh at me. Why are you blowing up your notes so big? So I can see them, all right? And so again, I need to magnify it. And so again, when we look at God, sometimes we see God and we don't, we don't really think God is all that big. But hopefully in studying the names of God, we'll discover how amazing God is. And when you understand the importance of the name of God and that you're his child, I want to tell you, you can go out with authority like David. We go out into the world in the name of the Lord, not in our own name, not in our own goodness, but in the name of the Lord. So today we're going to look at Jehovah Jireh, as we've been singing about a little bit today. Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord is my provider. And so I want to give you a quote up front. It's, it's, I've heard similar things, but I don't know. This is my quote as far as I know. If I thought of it, probably somebody else thought of it. That's what I always think. But anyway, the Lord's provision always precedes man's predicament. Let's all say that together. The Lord's provision always precedes man's predicament. In other words, before you ever really get into a problem, God already has a solution. That is Jehovah Jireh. Nothing catches God by surprise. So always understand before there's a problem, he already has the provision. He already is aware of it. All right? And today we're going to focus on Abraham. And so when you think about Abraham, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Some says faith because he is kind of the father of faith. When God began to, to choose a people for himself, he began with Abraham. And so Abraham's mentioned 294 times in the Bible, but probably the one instance that we remember most about Abraham is what we're going to talk about today, and that's when he took his son up on the mountain to sacrifice him before the Lord. Now, keep in mind, and we're going to talk about this, he's about 115 years old when he's doing this. All right, this isn't at the beginning of his life, it's at the very end of his life. And I just want to say this to everyone. I, in, the, in the early service, with a lot of gray hair like me, and I'm getting more and more gray hair all the time. But you know, I want to just tell you something. You never retire from serving God. I mean, Abraham, his greatest faith came at the end of his life. And when people say to me, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just going to retire. Let the younger bucks do it. Why would you do that? Because, I mean, you say, how do you know when your life is finished? When you step into the presence of God, your life here is over, all right? But as long as God gives you breath, he wants you to serve him. He wants you to be on the front lines. It's the older that should be teaching the younger about the faithfulness of God. I always remember, and I know I share this periodically, but Mildred McCorder, she's a, a missionary who retired. She was 67 when I heard her. 67, never been married. And she said, I'm going to serve God till the day I die. Because she said, if I quit serving God, he's just going to take me home. Why should I take up good air if I'm not serving him? She said, I want to serve him until the day I die. And she said, by the way, never been married, but she said, I'm still looking for a man. 67. So I'm still looking for a man. She said, I'm looking for three things. Somebody who's mission-minded, filthy rich, and terminally ill. That's what she said. <laughs> 
I'm just passing it on, all right? I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what she said. So she was always open, but she just, I mean, her schedule was totally full, all right? And so let's pick up the text in Genesis 22. He's about 115 years old, and so God gives him his ultimate test in life. So it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, God always tests us with the purpose of us succeeding. Satan tempts us so that we will fall, but God always tests us so that we will succeed. So he tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. So he told him something crazy. It sounded crazy in the natural realm. So let's talk about Abraham again. He was 75 years old when he got the call to ministry. 75. And so I always tell people, when people tell me, man, I'm 75, I'm just going to, no, that's when Abraham just got started. You don't give up. As long as God has you with breath, you serve the Lord. And so he was 75 years old when God called him into ministry. I love what the Bible says. He just went out, not even really knowing where he was going. He just knew he was supposed to go. Can I give Sarah some credit? How many of you know she had to be a godly woman to put up with Abraham? Can you imagine Abraham coming home and saying, honey, we're heading out. Where are we going? I don't know. God didn't tell me. He just told me we're supposed to go. I know a lot of wives that say, I'll meet you when you get back. But they both took off. And so I give, I give Sarah a lot, a lot of credit. And so 75 years old, and again, Hebrews 11, 8 says, they went out not even knowing where they were going. They were just following God. I want to encourage you guys to never give up serving God. I don't care how old, I don't care how physically, I don't care mentally. I mean, as long as God gives you breath, know that you have a purpose for God. And we need to every day be living for him. When he's 86 years old in Genesis 15, God comes to him and says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. 11 years has gone by and they haven't had any children yet. Abraham probably thought God dialed the wrong number. How many of you ever thought God dialed the wrong number when he asked you to do something? And so he's 86 years old, still doesn't have any kids. Now this wasn't like in the time of Noah where they lived to be 500. He was well past childbearing. So was Sarah, his wife. But 86 years old, he says, hey, I got some good news. Man, you're, I'm just going to reinstate what I told you. You're going to be the father of many nations. And he was having a hard time believing it. And God said, I want you to go out and look up at the stars. And we are very visual, by the way. We are very visual. God knows that. And he went out and he looked up at the stars in the night sky. And God said, as you see the stars, so will your descendants be. And the Bible says that he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. On that moment, and that scripture is quoted in the New Testament, by the way, when you can believe God, when you can't see it with the physical eye, but believe that he who has called you is able. And so he believed God when he looked up and saw all those stars. But he's 86 years old. Well, then about 13 years later, he's 99 years old in Genesis 17. And God says, you know what? We're going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, because that means the father of many nations. They don't even have any kids yet. And he already changed his name 
to Abraham. Can you imagine him going down to the senior sitter? Hey, don't call me Abram anymore. I am now Abraham. I am the father of many nations. And they're all probably thinking dementia has set in big time. He's calling himself the father of many nations. But God changed his name. Sarah was about 90 years old when they gave birth. Can you imagine them in the birthing center? They would have had a hoot with those two. I just believe. So he's 100 years old. Sarah's 90. So he's about 100 years old when they have Isaac. And now, maybe 15 years later, God tells him, I want you to take your son that you waited for for 25 years. The son that you love, you passionately have poured yourself into. I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. I got to tell you something. I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't know. I'd like to say, man, I could do that. I don't know. But he so believed God. He so believed God, the Bible says in Hebrews, he so believed that it was through Isaac the Messiah would come. The Bible says in Hebrews, he believed that if he slayed his son, God would have to raise him from the dead because God made the promise. That's faith right there. That's big time faith. So again, he's about 115 years old. Keep that in mind. I want to say your greatest act of faith is still to come. As long as you have breath, your greatest act of faith is still in the future. So never give up serving God. Everything we go through is preparing us for the future and preparing us to trust God. So let's pick back the text up in verse 3 of chapter 22. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. Now I'm going to give you my opinion here. I'm not saying this is Bible, this is my opinion. Why did he get up real early in the morning? My opinion is he got up before Sarah so they could take off so he didn't have to tell her what was going on. I cannot imagine Abraham telling Sarah, hey, I I heard this word from God. I mean, she would have killed Abraham right there. The story would have ended differently. I don't know that, but, but he got up real early in the morning. He takes off. They split the wood for the burnt offering. They arose and they went to the place of which God had told him. Then verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. We know now that it was Mount Moriah, or we call Mount Moriah the mountain of God. And by the way, Mount Moriah is very, very high, and you can see it from a long way off. And also I want to say to you, it's several miles uphill to get there. So Abraham at 115 had to be in incredible shape. I'm assuming Isaac carried the wood, but I don't, I don't know that. But they saw the place afar off. And Isaac says to his father, because Isaac was young and he was kind of calculating everything. Isaac says, look, father, we've got the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering?" Isaac goes, we got the wood, got the fire, but dad, we're missing the sacrifice. I got to tell you, it would have been, it would have tore my heart out to say something to Isaac. And so they're heading up there. Isaac's going, we don't have the lamb. Verses seven and eight, Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. What a great prophetic word that God would ultimately provide a lamb. 
Verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. I'm just telling you, I don't know. I'm just being honest. I don't know that I could do that. But he laid him on the altar. And again, the Bible says in Hebrews, he so believed God that it was through Isaac that the seed would come, the Messiah would come. He truly believed if God allowed him to kill his son, that God would have to raise him up to keep his promise. I mean, that's the kind of faith Abraham had in God. And so the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I want to tell you with all of my heart, I believe he was obedient to kill his son if that's what God allowed him to do. But God took him to that point to see what was in his heart. Did he love God with everything? Was he willing to give God the very most precious thing on this earth? And that was his son. And so the Bible says in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes. There was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. I don't know how long the ram had been there. My hunch was the ram was there before they ever started up the mountain because God's provision always precedes our predicament. God already had a provision in mind before they started up that mountain. So Abraham took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And the Bible says in verse 14, it says it this way, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So the name Jehovah Jireh came at age about 115 near the end of his life as he was trusting God and God provided. He said Jehovah Jireh, our God will provide. Now I want to share, even though I've taught this and I've preached this before, I got kind of a revelation when I was going through it this week. I want you to slow down. And so what Abraham says, Abraham called the place, Mount Moriah, he called the place Jehovah Jireh. Not only is God Jehovah Jireh, but literally Mount Moriah where he took his son, he says, it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so Mount Moriah is called Jehovah Jireh because on that mountain, he said, God will provide. And so the Amplified Bible says it this way, just a little bit different. So Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, and said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be seen and provided. He discovered that God was his Jehovah Jireh. I want to say with all of my heart, God will supply. As God asks us to step out, he already will supply every need that we face. Let me give you a couple examples. The children of Israel going through the wilderness. And I can't even imagine taking two to three million children of Israel through the wilderness where there wasn't a McDonald's and there wasn't a Walmart. I don't get it. How would you survive without a Walmart? But he's taking them through the wilderness. Let me ask you, if God can take two to three million children through the wilderness, where there's really no outward way that, that they could supply, and they say, I've been told that the amount of water they needed would be the equivalent of 94 tank cars worth of water every single day. 
they would need about 180 boxcars worth of manna every single day. And if God can take those two to three million children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years and supply all of their need, do you think God is able to take care of us? I'm telling you, we serve a mighty God. We serve a God that is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. But sometimes he takes us to a place to test our faith to see if we really believe that he is able. And again, if we have a big concept of God, no problem we face will seem all that big. And so Jehovah Jireh. Now think about Elijah. Remember Elijah called fire down from heaven and then God told him to go stay by this brook and he would feed him. And the Bible says he sent ravens with meat and bread twice a day. I mean, a raven would normally eat the meat, but he sent those ravens and then the brook dried up and the Bible says Elijah just stayed there. So they're in a famine, they're in a drought, Elijah's told to go up to this brook. He goes up there, then it dries up, and he doesn't move. He just waits for a word from the Lord. And then when God gave him a word, it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. He says, I want you to go to Zarephath, and I have a widow up there, and she's going to take care of you. Now, I'm just confessing, if God told me that, I've got a widow, she's going to take care of you, I'd be thinking, rich widow, rich widow, rich widow. Boom. (laughs) Now, you guys are more spiritual. But I'd be thinking, man, I mean, if a widow's going to tell me, she's probably a rich widow. He gets up there and she's flat broke. Matter of fact, the Bible says she's gathering sticks and she's going to cook the last little flour and the last little oil. She and her son are going to eat the last little cake and die. And Elijah goes up there and this widow is flat broke. And he says to this widow, he has the gall to say to this widow, before you and your son eat, I want you to make a cake for me first. And people would be mad. Why in the heck would he say that? That is so cruel to ask this woman to take the last little flour and the last little oil and make a cake for him first. But see, God was wanting her to step out of her economy into his economy. And I'm going to tell you, when you obey God and she obeyed the voice of the Lord and the Bible says she made a cake first for Elijah and the Bible says in all the days of the famine, that widow enjoyed what the millionaire couldn't buy. And amen goes right there. That's exciting. I'm telling you, when you step out with God and when you trust God, God is able. We serve a Jehovah Jireh. We serve a God who is able, but he wants us to step out of our comfort zone into his so that we can experience his provision. You know, I could spend a lot of time in my own life about Jehovah Jireh, and we all have stories. I've shared my my life, my story over the years, but as I think back, Jehovah Jireh will always be important to me. And when I was in ninth grade, I told you guys I, I couldn't, I, was, I, I, I would just shake and quiver when I got up in front of people. I got so bad I couldn't read sitting at my desk. I mean, that's pathetic when you can't read sitting at your desk. And so I would always miss church. If I had to get up in front of church, I would always stay home that day. But when I was 19 and committed my life to the Lord, I said to God, God, I'm willing to go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do. And I knew when I came back to the church, they were going to ask me to give a testimony. And I would always skip church. I would never do it. And God gave me a verse out of Deuteronomy that says, do not be afraid. The Lord will go before you. He will never fail or forsake you. 
And man, I quoted that over and over and over. I was so sick. The Sunday of that service, I was sitting in the service and uh, waiting for them to call my name, and I was just sick. I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. I mean, I was sick. I was upset stomach. I had diarrhea. I mean, I was a mess. And I kept quoting that verse, the Lord will go before you. He will never fail or forsake you. I said, Lord, where are you? And he seemed to whisper in my ear, the verse says, I will go before you. I'm up there waiting for you. I said, God, it'd really be nice if I could get a little of it here first. But I was just sick. And I can still remember when they called my name and I walked up and I put my hands on the podium. For the first time in eight years, I was able to stand and speak without shaking and quivering. I want to tell you, when God called me into ministry, he picked the absolute person with the least amount of natural ability. When people tell me, I have a hard time getting up in front of people, trust me, I get it. But God called somebody who had no ability so I could step into his ability. And I'm just going to tell you today, the only reason I'm here is his faithfulness. That's it. I have nothing to boast of, nothing. When I got called to pastor at Gerald, and you guys have heard my story, I was about 20 years old when God called me to pastor, and they were just looking for somebody bivocational. Their, their yearly budget was $10,000. That was your yearly budget. And so they, they offered me $325 a month. And God said, I want you to go full time. Now, I know $325 was a little bit more money in 1979, but it wasn't that much more. I didn't know, I honestly didn't know how, as a matter of fact, I had, I had godly people sit down with me and they said, Roger, I, we just don't see how you're going to make it. We, we just don't see how you're going to make it. But when God calls you, when God calls you to something, I want to tell you, I did eat a lot of peanut butter and crackers, I just want to say, still like them today. So it wasn't that I was living on easy street, but I just want to tell you today, when I got my check every month for $325, I always took the first $50 and gave it back to God. I never wanted to run out and not give my money to God. And here's what I can tell you. When everybody said, you'll never make it, you'll never make it, God is faithful. I'm here today because of his faithfulness. I mean, I have nothing to boast of, nothing other than God. I don't want anybody to ever hear me and think, man, he's bragging about himself. You don't know where I've been. If you knew where I've been, you would know there's nothing to boast of. I'm here to tell you that God is able, that God is our provider. I and again, the only reason I'm here, I love that verse where Paul says, faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. I want to tell you, God is so faithful that if we're willing to step out and to follow him, he will provide whatever the provision is that we need at the moment. So again, don't ever retire, just kind of refire. I want to go back to Mount Moriah just for a minute. Again, it kind of dawned on me this week that not only is God Jehovah Jireh, which I believe he is, but Abraham said, I want this place. I want Mount Moriah to be called Jehovah Jireh. There's something special about Mount Moriah, which we call the mountain of God. What was it about this mountain that God had him take Isaac up to? 
Well, it was the same mountain the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, I believe it is. It was on this same mountain that he had Solomon build the temple on Mount Moriah. On that place where they were to gather together to worship God, it was on that very same mountain. And it would not surprise us that when Jesus came and walked this earth and when Jesus died on the cross, would it surprise us that it was on Mount Moriah? Now, I don't know this. I absolutely do not know this, but it would not surprise me if Jesus was crucified near the spot where Abraham offered Isaac. It wouldn't surprise me. It was outside the city gate, but it was on Mount Moriah that God provided the lamb, the ultimate provision for us. Even before man sinned, God already had the provision. The Bible says in Revelation 13 that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Man, before Adam and Eve even sinned, God said, I've already got a solution. I want to provide and I want to make the provision and Jesus is willing to come and to die so that you and I could go to heaven. That's crazy. On Mount Moriah, God not only provided a ram for Abraham, but he provided a lamb for all of us so that we could have eternal life. I want to tell you, you are worth Calvary. You are worth Jesus dying for. He chose to die rather than to have heaven without you. It's going to be on Mount Moriah. And by the way, if you get to go to Israel today, Mount Moriah looks something like this. There's something about sitting on the Mount of Olives and looking across the Kidron Valley and looking at the holy city. This mountain has tremendous significance in the Bible. And I believe one day that Jesus is going to come back and the Bible says he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and he's going to go through that eastern gate into the city. If I understand the Bible during that millennial reign on earth, it's going to be from Mount Moriah that Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years. I believe it's perhaps right here where John sees the holy city coming down out of heaven, our eternal home. And you know what our eternal home is going to be called? New Jerusalem. So throughout all eternity, God is going to provide for us on Mount Moriah that we'll forever live in his presence. He's preparing a place for us and it's on the mount of the Lord that God will provide. God is so faithful. As I sat and just thought about Mount Moriah and how significant it is in the Bible, not only the history, but the future. In the early service, Ron Heimer was here and I had Ron come up and share. He went to the Israel trip with us last time we went and, and I, 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 I got to be I kind of twisted his arm a little. He wasn't sure he wanted to go. And so I, in Jesus' name, lovingly twisted his arm and got him to go. And when he came back, he had a tear in his eye and he said, you know, the only regret I have is that I didn't go 50 years earlier as a young pastor. But he said the part of the trip that was the most emotional for Ron, when you go to Israel, the first three days are up in Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel. But we get down to Jerusalem about the fourth day. 
And when the Bible talks about going up to Jerusalem, it is up. No matter which way you're coming from, it's up. It's Mount Moriah that you can see from a long way off. And so you're going up in the bus, and every trip I've been on, as you're going up in the bus, you get to a certain point that you go under a bridge, and all of a sudden, the driver will say, look to your left. And while you're up that climb to Jerusalem, they're playing the song, The Holy City. And when it gets to the chorus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And I mean, you had goosebumps and then you turned as you go under that bridge and look to your left. And there's the city. Ron said, when I saw Jerusalem for the first time, I just wept on the bus. What God started all the way back in the day of Abraham he was 115-ish years old. Mount Moriah is the place of God's ultimate provision. And I just want to tell you, he loves you so much. He chose to die rather than have heaven without you. Why in the world would anybody walk away without Jesus? I can't imagine anybody. You know, throughout all eternity, I think we're going to be so blown away by the love of God. The Bible says, I don't know, maybe the first several hundred years, we're just going to be on our face before God. When we see the holiness of God and realize that he was willing to take on an earth suit and to die on the cross for our sin, I think we are going to be so blown away by his love. I think throughout all eternity, we're going to celebrate God's provision on Mount Moriah. He said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It only took him a week to make all of creation. He's been 2,000 years making our final home. How many of you think it should be decent? Yeah. So as we take this journey on the names of God, every name just reveals one aspect of how awesome God is. But I hope that this week you'll celebrate that he is your Jehovah Jireh. That no matter what the need is you face, he already has the provision. And some of you may be a little nervous about what God's going to ask you to do. That's awesome. If you weren't a little nervous, I'd be worried. But always make sure that God is leading you. And if you follow God, God will always make the provision. Let's pray together. I want to just pray a simple prayer and maybe you're here today and you just feel a tug in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, your name on the church roll doesn't mean your name is on the Lamb's Book of Life. I hope that no one walks out of here without knowing for certain that you've invited Christ into your life and asked him to forgive you. So I want to pray just a simple prayer. And if you're here today, just feel that tug in your heart. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus... I realize today how much you love me. I realize that on Mount Moriah, you died for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I just open up the door of my heart. I invite you into my life as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me. 
If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to tell a couple people before you leave. If you're here this morning as a believer, I just want you to surrender your life to God. And I, I got to be honest with you, I turned 65 kind of thinking about at some point about retirement, this, that, and the other. Let me just say this. I, I, I don't know how it's all going to come down, but I want to say this. As long as God gives me breath and he lets me hobble, I want to serve him. I have some numbness in my left leg. I don't know how that will go as we go through time. But I just want to say, no matter how much, I want, I want my last breath to honor him. I want to challenge those of us with white hair to not give up. I think God wants us to lead the charge. So I pray that you would surrender your life to God and just be obedient to God. I want our example to scream to the young people that God is faithful. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. I want to pray for everybody, since I'm not 65 right now, I'm going to pray for everybody 65 and older. If you're 65 and older and you're able to stand, I want you to stand right where you are. Look at the sea of, man, i just blown away by the potential right here. I want to pray for you guys before we, we close. If you're seated, I just want you to pray for those who are standing. Father, in Jesus' name, my brothers and sisters who are standing before us today, God, it's just been amazing the journey they've been on to get here. But God, I pray for the breath, the grace to live every day for you. Father, I pray for the boldness for each one of my brothers and sisters who are standing. Father, to say yes to you and to allow you to use their life. So fill each one with your spirit, those who are seated. God, I just pray that we would scream to the world that our God is able. And we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.